Hello and welcome to the world of sport from the eyes of a teenager host by Daniel Middlebrook and today I am so excited to say I'm back, back for good. I've been gone over six weeks now and uh, I'll go into why I've been gone for so long soon. But today's episode is going to be all about cycling, which I'm so excited to do. I haven't talked about um, what's been going on in the world of cycling for so long. It feels incredible to be back. And we'll get on with talking about how Primoz Roglic falls apart without his team. About Tadej Pogacar's incredible Tour de France win. The crazy Giro d'Italia that Theo Gegenhart won just a few days ago. One why it was so exciting. My predictions for the Vuelta, which has just kicked off. And as I'm recording, it's on the rest day, just before stage 7. And I'll end with my dream team for this year. I know for a fact you're not going to miss it. I'll see you in a second. After a short break, I am back and I am booming to talk to you about why I've been gone so long. And this boils down to pretty much one main factor and that was uh, school's back. Uh, I'm on half term at the moment, but uh, we just went into the first term of school and it's been crazy starting times and when school finishes, it's been very difficult to get home and have, let alone the energy, but the time and the space to record, because I don't have a desk or anything in my room, which makes it practically impossible to record in the evenings, as well as the added factor of homework, and just trying to have any sort of enjoyment in life, and take breaks, so it's been um, very difficult to record, I tried to on a Saturday a few weeks ago, but it just, it just wasn't quite possible, um, I think I recall I was trying to just after week two, of the NFL season, but yeah, it's been very difficult to record, but now I'm back, at least for this week, and uh, hopefully to stay, I'll do my best to start recording maybe on a Saturday or a Sunday now, but uh, because the NFL is on on a Sunday and I watch that live all night pretty much, uh, and cycling in the morning, it's very difficult to even try and record on a Sunday, so Saturday is pretty much the only option, and I don't get drastic amounts of time alone to record, but like I said, for the moment, I am back, and it's been absolutely fantastic, um, the racing that we've been able to see, and I'll be going through that in just a second, so to start, I need to be talking about Primoz Roglic, the undeniable Tour de France favourite, he won the Vuelta last year in fantastic fashion, and this year with the strongest team, with riders like Robert Hazink, George Bennett and Sepp Kuss, uh, helping, him up, helping him up the mountains, it really did seem like Primoz Roglic was going to win the Tour de France, he looked the strongest rider throughout, and then stage 20, which was a time trial up La Planche de Belfi, Tadej Pogacar, the uh, Slovenian cyclist, won the Tour de France after being, I think it was 52, 56 seconds down, and won it in fantastic fashion versus Primoz Roglic. He put in a stellar time, beating him by over a minute, and I was lucky enough to be at home on that day, 
and uh, being able to watch that race unfold live on a time trial was fantastic because a lot of people don't like time trials. I've never really understood why. Personally, for me, I I much prefer time trials. I think it's a lot easier to see what's panning out on the road. And when you have a fantastic rider like Tadej Pogacar and putting in a performance like that, it was more interesting than most of the road stages, with the exception, I think it was stage 18, which was just a fantastic mountain. The name's gone out of my head, because it, it's, um, it was a new addition, up a ski resort, whereas normally mountains like Alp Dewis are the ones most talked about, but that was a flipping difficult climb. Looking at it now, it was uh, cold at a loss on stage 17, so apologies for my mistake. But um, I just went to show that on stage 20... What is Roglic without a team? Because um, this will lead me on to my next point about the Vuelta, which has just started. But um, I'll talk about that a bit later in the episode. But as of right now, it shows us what a mountain time trial really is. Because uh, so often do we see riders like, for example, Chris Froome. They're um, fantastic time trialists and they have a great team. And Roglic is a great time trialist in his own right, but... A mountain time trial really shows you the real strength of a rider. Like, you take away the factor of a team. There's no team involved. It's you and the road. And Roglic proved that without his team, what actually is he? He's still a fantastic GC rider, but Tadej Pogacar was faster. He was a much better climber that race, but Pogacar had no teammates. Don't even think he had David de la Cruz to help him. It was um, it was pretty awful considering <laughs> the support that UAE could have given him. They could have given him a lot better riders, but you know it is what it is. And Yumba Visma were there to play. Sepkus was incredible. He could have his own tilt at GC one day. He's good enough for it. But for example, in uh, stage six of this year's Vuelta. Uh, when Roglic had some trouble getting his coat off um, on a descent, his whole team was spent getting him back to the front. And then when he was at the front, he was dropped because without his teammates to give him wheels and to just help give him some strength and some support, what is Primoz Roglic? He doesn't. Well, without Sepp Kuss, Primoz Roglic is not that great a rider. I still think he has a good chance to win this year's Welter, which I'll talk about later, but... He just isn't the same rider without that team. And it's kind of unexplainable because Froome had his incredible teammates and then he could go on and do it himself, not to mention on stage 19 of the 2018 Giro when he ripped the race apart after Kenny Elisson put in a fantastic ride to drop Simon Yates. And um, it just goes to show how important teams are and what is Roglic without that team? We saw it on stage 20 of the tour. Uh, When um, Sepp Kuss isn't there, when Robert Hazink isn't there, what is Primoz Roglic? It's crazy. After a short break, I am back and I am booming to talk to you about Tadej Pogacar, the 22-year-old Slovenian riding for UAE Team Emirates, won this year's Tour de France, as I said earlier, in just fantastic fashion. We've known about this guy since the Tour of California last year, where he placed extremely well. 
And then the, last year at the Vuelta, he managed to podium in fantastic fashion, only behind uh, Primoz Roglic and Alejandro Valverde. Pogacar is the future of pro cycling. That's what I said on Twitter uh, in February after he won, hold on, after he won Volta a la Comunitat Valencia of this year, after only a few months of podium in the Vuelta, he managed to win in Valencia, which is fantastic. And I put Pogaccia is a future pro cycling in February. Seven months later-ish, he wins the Tour de France, and I was lucky enough that I was scrolling through my old tweets that I found that gem, and now I can brag for all of time <laughs> about predicting the Tour de France in a sense, because based on how it looks right now, today Pogaccia is the future of pro cycling. I understand that we said the same about Banal last year, but who says that Egan Banal won't? win another four Tour de France's. Who says that Pogaccia won't? It's it's a big pressure for these young riders who are coming in and putting in these fantastic performances to come up and back the next year, but I think Pogaccia could come back and do it because Bernal's best tour, well, best race it was when he won the 2019 Tour de France. This year, Pogaccia, after podiuming, at the Vuelta, comes to the Tour, I think it was only his second ever Grand Tour, and wins the thing. If that isn't crazy, I don't know what is. That's even after losing time on stage 7, I think, in the crosswinds. He lost about 42 seconds, and I thought, yeah, there's no chance he wins it now. But, somehow, he comes out on the time trial and puts in the performance of his life to win that. And it just shows how riders... And their teams are becoming a little less relevant when teams are given these time trials to throw in. When the organisers put in time trials, it makes it a lot easier to pick out the strong riders from the slower riders. Understand the specialists and that, but even so, mountain time trials seem to be the most entertaining of all. They're absolutely fantastic. Um, Pogacar took advantage of his incredible talent and is now world famous in words of cycling it's it's incredible what ambition can do for you because i don't think anybody in uae would have actually predicted he'd win the tour they, they knew he'd put up a good fight I, I personally thought he might get a podium but he wasn't in my bracket to win the tour at the start of the race. I'm pretty sure literally everyone said Roglic. And in all fairness to Roglic, he was incredible. And especially seeing as Pogac is one of his good friends. <laughs> it was fantastic to watch Pogac after he won. That, that look of confirmation. And the fact that Roglic will go over to him and congratulate him shows that he's a nice guy. But Pogac is without a doubt going to win plenty more Grand Tours. If you look at his ride, in fact, even just after he finished the Tour, he had a crack at the world. So he, I think I don't think he placed top 10 in it, but up uh, one of the last climbs he attacked fantastically, got about a 20-second gap before he's reeled in. In a race that Alaphilippe won, and I'll talk about him a bit later, hopefully. But that'll conclude my section on today, Pogaccia. After a short break, I am back and I am booming to talk to you 
about the 2020 Giro d'Italia. This, I mean, not to disrespect the Giro, because it is a, a beautiful race, it's a fantastic race. However, out of the three Grand Tours, which are the biggest races, the three three-week races, the Giro always tends to fall a tiny bit short of the others, because the Tour's, without a doubt, the biggest, it's the most watched. Um, the Vuelta is often a lot more exciting, because there's always that nervous energy. You know, riders have had a difficult season, they go there trying to find respite and trying to just win and that's what tends to happen the Vuelta's kind of like your go-to race if you get me and then the Giro just kind of just just gets left behind a little because teams don't bring their A team it's kind of a little bit not boring but not quite as entertaining as the others and race organization doesn't help um they need to include the Stelvio more but, um, that's a, sorry, a very random thought. But, I'll bring you to my points about the Giro. So, at the start of the race, I said to my dad, who I watched pretty much most of the cycling with, um, I said to my dad, this is going to be a contract race. And he said, what? And I said to him, you see, because there's not that many favourites, excluding like Simon Yates and uh, Geraint Thomas, there's going to be so many riders who are riding for contracts with so many teams in like financial struggle that um, riders are going to top 10 on GC and they're going to expect loads of money from teams in the future because of that, even though there's not that many favourites. And it turned out to be pretty much exactly that way. Riders like Ben O'Connor, Jan Traknik, Josef Czerny, all pretty much out of contract or in teams in difficult positions. And they've ridden themselves to new contracts. For example, Ben O'Connor, after winning the stage and uh, podium in on, I think, two? No, only one. Um, he's managed to get himself a contract at AG2R Le Mondial for next year. It's only a one-year deal, but I suspect if he keeps riding like he did in the Giro, that'll get picked up again. But anyway, that's, that's besides the point. But my point is that when there's less favourites, we do see riders... For example, David De La Cruz, I think it was a 2017 Vuelta. Um, they go ahead and put in what looks like a great ride, when in reality is just not quite good enough to do it anywhere else with favourites. And then this year it turned out to be even more true, with um, Geraint Thomas fracturing his hip on stage 3, which was um, supposed to go up Mount Etna, which it did, but Geraint Thomas wasn't there because he was riding on a fractured hip somehow and uh, Simon Yates tested positive for coronavirus which forced the whole Mitchelton Scott team and the Yumba Visma team to pull out of the race after multiple positive tests and that was kind of the overlying thing of this year's Giro because the Tour de France somehow in the back of my head I knew it would go the full three uh, full three weeks I don't know why but I just kind of felt it would, whereas in the Giro, I really didn't think it would after, well, Simon Yates dropped off, because he definitely was not riding at his best, struggling to breathe, uh, very lethargic. He's, I think he's recovered now, I don't know, it's been well over two weeks, so I, I'd assume he has, but all the best for him if he hasn't. And anyway, they both pulled out. Um, Jumbo Visma and um, Mitchell and Scott pulled out, which the two biggest favourites of the race pull out immediately. And then suddenly, who are you left with? Jakob Vogelsang didn't look the same. Nibali didn't look the same. 
No one quite knew what would happen. And then the 22-year-old Zhao Almeida, riding for De Kern at Quick Step, pops up after Filippo Ganna won the um, first individual time trial. And he takes pink. And he holds pink for not one week, but 15 days of a Grand Tour, which is absolutely fantastic. He was incredible with help of riders like James Knox, Fausto Masnada, and uh, Pieter Seri. It was a fantastic Giro in that sense. It was great for Portugal with Ruben Guerrero winning the Climbers jersey and taking a stage in his own right. But um, it really was incredibly interesting to see what a team can do for you. And Almeida cracked on the Stelvio on, I think, stage 18, I want to say, um, before it really emerged that Teo Gegenhart and Jai Hindley were the two favourites for the Giro d'Italia. Now, I spoiled um, the ending of the race earlier in the podcast, but I need to talk about Teo Gegenhart. If you've been following British Cycling or more Team Sky slash Ineos for the past few years, you'll have heard the name Teo Gegenhart before, and you'll know his immense talent, but... For those that don't, he just won the Giro d'Italia after being there as a support rider for Geraint Thomas. And the same with Jai Hindley. I'd obviously heard Hindley's name before, but I knew nothing about him. And he was supposed to be there for Wilco Keldman uh, in the third week of the race. And instead, he pretty much took control of that team, controversially, according to the Dutch press, who were not happy that their man Wilco Kelderman had the race robbed in inverted commas taken from him but um two young guns jay hindi and teo gegenhart battle out for the giro d'italia win with each other it was a fantastic race we've got rider like rohan dennis on the stelvio and later on stage 20 which um teo gegenhart won to put jay hindley and teo gegenhart on the same time which has never happened before going into a, the final stage of a grand tour and Rowan Dennis put in stellar rides on uh, both of those days, stage 18 and 20, to give <laughs> to give these two riders a chance at winning the overall before stage 21, uh, 15k individual time trial in Milan. And what does Teo Gegenhart do? do? What does Teo Gegenhart do? He goes out and beats Jai Hindley in the final time trial to win the Giro d'Italia without having the pink jersey on his back a single day it was fantastic to watch and um i was lucky enough that i was at school no i wasn't uh, i wasn't at school last week and i could watch the whole week live because it was the first time in a long time that i've been fully gripped on the edge of my seat watching cycling because often we don't have this kind of british talent to to cheer on this late in a race because like, for example, the Vuelta, which Simon Yates won a couple of years ago. We all knew he was going to win going into it, so that was a bit boring. The 2018 Giro, we kind of knew they were going to win, so that was a bit boring. The 2018 Tour was brilliant for Garrett Thomas, but it was kind of a little bit boring because, again, for a couple of weeks, we kind of knew he was going to win. And then this year, suddenly, um, on I think it was stage 13, 14, 15, one of, one of them, um, Jai Hindley and Tu Gegenhart proved themselves the two strongest riders in the race. And that was really unexpected. And then Tu Gegenhart goes out and wins the Giro. And I've never been so excited just because 
I haven't seen anything like that before. Not that late in a race. It was incredible to watch history happen. And the fact that Ineos can win, I think it was seven stages with Ghana taking four, Teo taking two, and someone else taking one. That um, I think they prove that Ineos, not just because they have money, but they're very good at recruiting, um, they have the most stacked team in the world. And I mean that from depth, from the top riders. I mean... I, um, a friend of mine said, um, actually it was Stefan who was in an episode not that long ago, he said, when your fourth or fifth best climber wins the Giro, you know for a fact that your team is stacked. And Theo Gegenhart is even better than that now. I think uh, when you compare him with other riders like Carapaz, Ineos have an incredible future with this kid. I think he could potentially win a grand, another Grand Tour in his time. Give him the resources, but in his head, he'll probably just keep going and being a super domestique, but it just proves Ineos' depth and recruiting in their team. After a short break, I am back, and I am booming. To give you my predictions for this welter. Now, I'm not going to go into every jersey because I think that would be boring, especially the climbers jersey and the points we know will probably just go to the winner. But I'm going to talk about the top five for the end GC, or at least what I think. This is only based on the first six stages, so don't um, kill me on Twitter for this when, when I'm most likely wrong. But based on riders' form now and how I think they'll go over the next three weeks, well, two weeks, really, um, based on what I think they can do. So I'm going to start with fifth to first. Now, fifth, I'm going with Enrique Mass riding for Movistar to finish fifth because despite his shaky performance on stage six of this year's Welter, He's a fantastic rider with the whole support of Movistar, maybe with the exception of Mark Soler, who I consider putting in this spot. But they're a very, very strong team, and um, Emery Mass is on flying form, at least it seems like he is in hotter weather. And, um, yeah, he's a very good climber. We know that from the 2018 Vuelta, where I think he came second, was it? I can't quite remember. It's gone out of my head. But... Um, yeah, he's a fantastic rider, and I think he could come top five, if not higher. But with Mark Soler, Esteban Chavez, and such, pressing on slightly behind, he could, well, drop down. In fourth place, I've put Hugh Carthy, who, based on current form, I would put on the podium. But, personally, I don't know how he's going to fare over three weeks, because he's a very talented climber, but... He's never quite performed at this sort of level in the past. And my biggest worry is that he won't be able to carry it on. And plus, seeing as he doesn't have a great team, seeing as riders like Danny Martinez um, abandoned, um, riders like Mike Woods won't be willing to sacrifice their chances for stage wins uh, to help him. So it, it does worry me that he doesn't have quite the same lack of um, support. Well, quite the same support. And um, I don't know what his legs can do, but this is, yet again, subject for change. I'm more than happy to push him up. I'm also more than happy to push him down as well, depending on how riders behind him go. In third place, I've put 
Primoz Roglic, now this might be a little bit controversial based on his current form, however he is a fantastic rider and I know what I said about him in the tour, what is he without Sepp Kuss and uh, other riders like George Bennett, but he's still got that team support and I still think that he could well podium. He's he's definitely strong. He's one of the best stage racers. We know he does have form winning um, winning I think of stage two or stage one. No stage one, and uh, Liège Baston Liège not that long ago. He's a fantastic rider, and I think he could podium. But it does worry me that he puts in so many efforts early on in a race. But. That concludes Roglic, and I'm moving on to second place, which I've put Dan Martin in second. And this is mainly because he's one of my favourite riders, but also he is in stellar form, and he's also in great form to look for GC. He's not attacking in silly ways like he normally would. He looks strong, better than Roglic, and um, he looked like he could be measuring his effort. My only concern would be that uh, he doesn't quite have the team around him. Israel Startup Nation are, not to say weak, but a weaker team than they could be, unlike their Giro team with riders like Alex Dowsett. They're very strong. But, yeah, I don't think he quite has the support of some of the riders or the rider ahead of him in this list um, to win it. Which brings me on to first place. Last year's Giro d'Italia winner with a fantastic team around him. It has to be Richard Carapaz to win this world. I, I can't think of anybody else in slight better form except for maybe Hugh Carthy based on yesterday. Um, I can't really think of anybody better. And plus this team. Uh, it's a team effort. Is incredible. You've got riders like Chris Froome as a super domestique. He's getting stronger every day. Uh, you've got Andre Amador who's been absolutely stellar. And plus, Ineos just knows how to get the job done. It's that simple. Dylan Van Baal can do it for him. And plus, Carapaz is flipping strong. He can win. He can win Grand Tours without help, like we saw in um, twenty yeah twenty nineteen Giro. We didn't really have that much of a team around him. And he still managed to pull off a win. And I have a lot of faith in him. He's one of my favourite riders. He's a great guy. He definitely seems like he's in it to win it. However, he did ride the Tour, like many other riders in this. So, we do have to see what his legs will be like. But personally, based on current form and how I think they'll go over three weeks, Carapaz first, Dan Martin second, Roglic third, Hugh Carthy fourth, and Enrique Mass fifth. On my top five of this year's Vuelta Espana. I'll see you in just a second with my end of year dream team. Thank you. After a short break, I am black and I am booming to give you my 2020 cycling season dream team. Um, this is going to contain all the best riders now. Oftentimes in the future, I'm hoping to do more stuff like this, but as if I was going for a Grand Tour like I did earlier with my 2020 Tour de France team. Um, but this is just going to be a team of the best riders. It's not necessarily who I'd pick if I was going to win a Grand Tour. It'd be very different. Um, but these are just, in my opinion, the riders that really stood out to me this year. So, 
Number one and number two, I'll say them both together, it has to be the battle between the Van Art and Van der Poel. Two fantastic classic riders, obviously, Wout van Art and Matty van der Poel are much more than that. But a rivalry that's been going since they were younger than me, which is crazy to think. Um, uh, uh, van Art riding for Katusha and... No, Van Art riding for Jumbo Visma and Van der Poel riding for Katusha. I'm really sorry for my mistake. I don't, I don't like making mistakes like that. And um, these two riders have been battling it out over the classics, with Van der Poel winning races like um, the Tour of Flanders and Van Art winning plenty of classics. Not to mention like Milan San Remo earlier in the year. And Lately, they've been battling it out with Van Aert not racing the Vuelta this year, so we can target classics. I think his season's practically over now. But it wouldn't be a dream team if I didn't include the two riders who have been bossing it in the classics. So, my next rider in this list has to be the Irish sprinter for De Kernick Quick Step, Sam Bennett who has been absolutely outstanding this year, probably the best sprinter on earth. It was, In my personal opinion, it's a tie between him and Caleb Ewan for the best sprinter, but Sam Bennett is such a likeable guy, such a fantastic teammate, a rider, a sprinter, a person, a kind of guy you can get behind, you know, and um, he is the perfect sprinter for a team and the perfect sprinter of this year, winning green at the Tour de France. Moving on, maybe slightly controversially, I pick Sepp Kuss. Now, this might be slight bias because I've, I've pretty much loved Sepp Kuss for a few years now, but um, he put in a stellar performance this year. Arguably, you could make a case that he could have podiumed the tour if uh, Jumbo Visma had ridden for him. He is a fantastic rider, and riding for Roglic... Roglic is not on my list. I decided to leave him out because... He's a inc- bit inconsistent. Uh, Sepkos is always there in the mountains, and he looks like the strongest climber of any rider, really. He's, he's absolutely fantastic. Moving on to Filippo Ganna, uh, currently individual time trial world champion, riding for Ineos. Again, just showing how absolutely stacked they are. He won four stages of this year's Giro, and I said, it hasn't had the best of riders, but a team with Rohan Dennis, two-time world time trial champion, Victor Campenarts, the our record holder, Thomas de Ghent, who's done well on time trials at the Tour de France, Joseph Cherny, not to mention, he's done very well this year in time trials, and Ghana won all three individual time trials this year, as well as a mountain stage to go with it. He is really something else, and the power he can put out is incredible and so I've had to put him in this team just because he is the best time trialist in the world and as I said earlier in this I love I love a time trial moving on to the current UCI world champion Julien Alaphilippe one of my favorite riders ever you know he's charismatic he's a brilliant rider he's got that flair you know and that real want and that hunger and the pleasure to see him win the World Championships was just immense. Because uh, his Tour de France was, well, I'll say disappointing. He held the yellow jersey for a couple of days and won a stage. But compared to 2019, it was a little bit disappointing. However, he did hold himself for the World Championships, which he dominated. 
winning that by a good handful of seconds, celebrating, and after he lost his dad earlier this year, you could really, really see how much it meant to him. And I've had to put him in here. Maybe not the most inspired of seasons compared to last year, but still a fantastic rider, winning um, another race recently. He has been fantastic. Although, despite um, his form at Liège-Bastogne-Liège, where he was on to win, put in a very dangerous sprint, which got him relegated down five places anyway, and he also celebrated before he crossed the line, and Roglic out-sprinted him because he started celebrating without checking behind, which he nearly did um, a couple weeks, no, even not even two weeks, sorry, a week later, at uh, Brontiers Pagil, I think it was. <laughs> But I've put him in here because he's a fantastic rider. And he did ride incredibly well this season. Moving on to our next rider is Mark Hirschi for Team Sunweb. Who were directed by Matt Winston, a British director sportif. who's fantastic coordinating Team Sunweb's incredible Tour de France campaign. With a stage win from Mark Hirschi and two from Cernkrag, Anderson and more. Um... He really burst onto the scene, nearly winning a stage early in the Tour de France after a massive solo effort. Although today Pogaccia picked him, um, pipped him of that stage in a sprint. Here she really burst onto the scene this year, and he's been fantastic ever since. He's been absolutely brilliant, and um, not necessarily an unknown because pretty much. Most people had heard of him, but again, a bit like uh, Jai Hindley in the Giro, I'd, I'd heard him, but I didn't know drastic amounts about him. Which brings me on to my final rider of this list. And who else could it be but the Tour de France winner himself, Tadej Pogacar, really proving his worth. He's probably going to get paid big bucks soon, and for good reason. He was outstanding this year. And I think it's safe to say arguably the best rider of this year. He was incredible in the Tour de France, which is the hardest race of all. Winning the damn thing on the last stage. Well, last actual stage, not stage 21, the procession into Paris. But today Pogaccia has to be on this list just for the sake of winning the Tour de France and even putting up a fight at the Worlds um, a week afterwards. Well, I suppose that concludes my uh, my episode. I'll bring you with the goodbye message in just a second. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening to The World of Sport from the eyes of a teenager, hosted by Daniel Middlebrook. If you stuck around to listen to the end, I thank you very much. Tell as many people as you can about this podcast and really help it grow. Follow me on Twitter and um, let me know how you what you're thinking about this podcast any way you can. It's been an absolute pleasure to record and I hope you'll be back very, very soon. Thank you so much for listening. Have a fantastic day.